Warrior Woman, welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 67. I'm on day one of my cycle and I just finished my super session on training and eating with your cycle. So we just ran a live super session, workshop session, uh, all about how we can train and eat with our cycle, which was super cool. Uh, If you missed the session and you would love the recording, email me and I can send it to you. So I thought I would do like a triple whammy today, uh, recording that super session, recording the intro to this podcast. And then later on today, I have my internal event for Warrior School. And in that internal event today, we're talking about how to understand our metabolism without counting calories. So how to know how to eat really to support ourselves, you know, and if our food plan is working for us, which I'm super excited about. So that's tonight. Uh, But let's get back to podcast. Today's episode is about birth trauma, which I, you know, I'm so excited to share this episode with you. Uh, Ash, who is my guest today, uh, Ash and I did our undergrad degrees together back in 2007 in exercise science and nutrition. She has uh, gone on to be a sonographer. She lives on the New South Wales coast uh, near where I grew up, near my home. Uh, And a few months ago, she posted her birth story on her Facebook page and I read it. And in her story, she was speaking about POP which stands for, which I now know stands for pelvic organ prolapse. And I didn't know anything about it. And her story was so powerful that I reached out to her and we had a conversation. We jumped on a Zoom call and she shared her birth story, how she experienced birth trauma and how she was still trying to, you know, grieve the loss of like what her body could do before her birth and heal from this trauma. So I asked her if we could do a podcast together and she graciously said yes, which it was her first podcast episode ever. And she did amazingly. Uh, I'm, I just can't wait for you to listen to the episode. So I should really probably stop talking so you can listen to it. Uh, today we talk about birth trauma. You know, what is birth trauma? She shares her birth trauma story, which is powerful and heartbreaking and inspiring uh, and how she's still grieving really her identity and how she lived her life before the birth of her baby, who is now 13 months old, I believe, Heath. Then we also talk about like what the healing journey looks like after a traumatic birth. Uh, You know, she, she talks about how one in three women share that, you know, their birth was traumatic, which is crazy. Uh, So we talk about the healing journey and what that looks like, why pelvic floor specialists are key and they really need to be involved, you know, in this process before, during and after our birth to support us and where we can go to get the support and resources and information that we need uh, if we have experienced birth trauma. Okay, so enjoy this episode. Uh, It's full of, you know, amazing storytelling. Uh, It's heartbreaking. It's inspiring. 
And yeah, I'm just so grateful that Ash agreed to come on the podcast and chat to me and share her story. Okay, Warrior Woman, enjoy. Welcome to the Warrior School podcast, the podcast for women who train. I am your teacher, Amy Bow, coach, dietitian, and the creator of Warrior School. I believe the quality of our cycles determines the quality of our training and lives. And I believe lifting weights, knowing our cycles and training with them is the future of women's training. Each week on the podcast, myself and other professionals will talk about how to know your cycle, eat to support your physiology and training, and how to train smart so you can finally get the results that you want in your training. Okay, Warrior Woman, let's do this. There you are. Hey. Hi. And you have your fun earrings on. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I'd wear them. I don't usually wear this type of stuff, but I was like, for today, I will. Yeah. I love it. I was thinking, because I saw your picture that you posted yesterday and I was like, hope she wears her earrings. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, I got them yesterday. I'm like, how appropriate for our talk for today. Um, Yeah. So. They're so cool. I know my um well Andrew's cousin she she makes earrings and I asked if she could make some for my boss who's about to retire and then it was just a coincidence that International Women's Day was coming up and so she made like a full kind of dedicated special edition and these featured so yeah <laughs> yeah they're so cool did yeah, she just yeah. do like uh the Volvo or did she do anything else she just did the Volvo and then she kind of dedicated another piece where it was like kind of like the menstrual teardrop and she did it for just like women born with female genitalia and then she did one that was dedicated to um, transgender as well, which was kind of cool in the transgender flags. So that was really cool. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, so. No, really I, cool I wish I had my ears pierced still. Yeah. So I could get some when I saw you with them on yesterday. I was like, oh, that's so cool. But I haven't put uh, earrings in my ears for so long. I think she does clip-ons. I think um, you can get clip-on ones. Um, Maybe I can get her like to make a special one for you with like a menstrual featuring. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Maybe she could do like a special one with um, training the menstrual cycle and and food. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just um, see like a dumbbell and a banana and then like the menstrual teardrop or something in this earring. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it with her. I'll, I'll say, Erin, can you do something with these? Yeah. <laughs> it might have to become a necklace. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I'm so um, excited to talk to you today. Because I feel like there's a massive movement happening in Australia right at this present time about birth trauma. And I just thought, this is like so appropriate to start talking like especially on a podcast about it so I'm super excited but yeah like I I think that sounds like a great little plan yeah well why don't we just start and you we can start talking about that petition like what what it is even about and yeah the the research in it and then we can dive into you know into what what the birth trauma is yeah okay all right sounds good let's do it go for it (laughs) Okay. Uh, okay. So um, in Australia at the moment, there is a massive movement 
trying to change the way that birth trauma is handled. And I suppose it's more, it goes a bit further than that. So it's kind of about making that every postpartum woman is assessed appropriately. Because at the moment, women go for a postpartum check at six weeks. And if you speak to any woman who's had a, a baby, and doesn't matter what the journey is, their assessment varies dramatically from each GP. And that is not okay. I don't believe that everyone should be fitted into a box, but I feel like there should be a standard, a gold standard protocol that they all should be following. And every woman should be heard in terms of, you know, what their birth story was and, you know, and how that looks for them. So at the moment you go to the GP and they ask you, you know, they get out your discharge papers and they say, okay, for example, you've had a vaginal delivery, you had a second degree tear. Are you good down there? Yeah, good. Yeah, cool. Um, and the patient may say, um, do you, do you want to have a look? No, no. If, if you feel that's okay, like I'm completely happy. So there's no kind of, I suppose, directness from the GP kind of going, I know that you feel okay down there and that's really good, but how about we just do an internal check just to make sure that the, you know, that the tear has feel, um, healed properly, that, you know, um, that there is no kind of pelvic floor descent of the organs, that you have got good pelvic floor strength, um, you know, that the tear that they've documented on your discharge papers actually illustrate what I'm seeing because I suppose the big thing too is that people are told that for example that they've got a grade two tear but in reality they actually may have a grade three or four and that's a massive massive I suppose issue when it comes to their their um their prenatal their postnatal care and for the rest of their life so if someone has a misdiagnosis and actually it was featuring on the project in Australia this week about a lady that she was told she had a grade three tear, I think it was, but in fact, she actually had a grade four and no one listened to her and she, she was sick and they were chasing, looking for leukemia. They thought, you know, they were checking for like all these autoimmune diseases. And what in fact, what she actually had was an abscess that was misdiagnosed for four years. I'm pretty sure it was. And she's had numerous surgeries now to rectify that. So I think, you know, starting with that, it's really important that the postnatal care check changes. You know, it's not about, it's about the psychological, it's about the physical, it's about, it's about the whole thing. Because if you don't have a happy mum, you don't have a happy life. Because if they're not happy within themselves, how are they going to fulfill their dreams and their kind of inspirations to be the mother that they wanted to be or to be the person that they've always been you know so so at the moment um this petition is kind of really advocating for change in australia so you know um thousands of women are felt like falling through the crack and being misdiagnosed or undiagnosed with like either incontinence fecal incontinence or you know organ prolapse or they get the whole trifecta which that is horrendous you know some women are just let go and it takes years and they spend thousands and thousands of dollars trying to figure out like what is what's going on like why is this happening to me and they just get the thing of like you've had a baby like you've got to expect some change and that's absolute crap absolute crap so I think so, do you want to talk about uh like what is birth trauma for those that are listening 
Yeah, so birth trauma can vary from like psychological where people can get like, you know, PTSD, they can get, you know, like um, they can get like really bad, um, vivid kind of rehashes of what's happened to them. It can be physical where they've torn the pelvic floor off the bones or avulsions of the levator amy um, musculature, which I will talk about my experience because that fits in with me. Um, incontinence, so it can be urinary or it can be fecal or it can be both. So, um, and people seem to think that you can only get incontinence if you have prolapse, and that's not the case. Some it can be paired together or separately. There's no kind of standard. Like you must have one to have the other doesn't work like that. So birth trauma can look different for everyone. So it just doesn't happen if you have a vaginal. It can happen if you have a cesarean. If it's a planned cesarean or even, you know, uh, you know, an emergency cesarean. So um, it can vary in terms of birth trauma. And one in three women will associate their birth as traumatic, which when you think about it, when you go through the prenatal care, you go to these appointments, and I'm quite honest about it. Like, I don't even know what we even talked about. <laughs> like, I kind of think, like, what did we actually talk about? Like, what did we actually cover? Like, you know, it was always about doing fundal height, which, sorry, I don't believe in it. I'm a sonographer. And the amount of people that come in for an ultrasound and they're like, oh, my fundal height's too high. Oh, my fundal height's too small. Oh, my fundal height is, I don't know. It's, is you know, that- it's very, pardon what is that for those that fundal are- height? Yeah, fundal height is where they get a measure, like they get a tape measure and they put it at the top of your uterus and they measure it down to the pubic synthesis. And it's very subjective. So it's not really an accurate science. And so, but it can cause a lot of angst unnecessarily. Yes, there are times that it can be correlated with pathology. But in my experience of my eight years of doing ultrasound, Maybe I've seen maybe three or four cases where it's actually been useful and the other times it hasn't. And, and from my own personal experience, when they were doing my fundal height, I was always two weeks behind. But it doesn't take into consideration your body type. Do you have a long torso? Are you a short torso? Like there's so many variation, variables that can fit into that that doesn't make it reliable. Mm-hmm. And, again, they don't talk to you about it. They don't say this isn't perfect you know, so don't read too much into it. Like we're not really concerned because you've got a long torso or you've got a short torso, you know, um, they used to let people go off and just have this, you know, kind of angst about it. So yeah, so at the prenatal care, it's really baby focused in terms of fundal height, your blood pressure. Um, Again, there's no kind of strict protocol, like um, some midwives will routinely check your urine for different types of um, pathologies. So, you know, uh, proteins for preeclampsia, sugars for diabetes and just urinary tract infections. Um, but not all midwives will do that, which again is like, why isn't there a standard? Why isn't there like, this is what we must do for every woman that walks through the door. So, and there's plenty of people that again, slip through the cracks and then they end up with life-threatening situations where, for example, if preeclampsia is missed, it can be life-threatening not only for the fetus, but also for the mother in question. So again, that can be traumatic. So that can be birth trauma as well. Um, so, um, but, so going through the antenatal care, um, I don't really know what we talked about. We definitely didn't talk about birth trauma. That's for sure. Um, we, 
definitely didn't talk about organ prolapse and we definitely didn't talk about anything but the rainbows and butterflies that <laughs> I, you know, like I <laughs> kind of thought was going to happen, you know? And <laughs> yeah. so, you know, and then you go to these like prenatal classes that the government kind of um, gives you. And we watch these videos that were done in the eighties. And so they're not even up to date. And then they're still they, showing 80s videos. Yeah, yeah, 80s videos. And it's crazy. It's kind of like, how can you still be showing these videos? They're not even relevant. They're not even relevant, you know. And, you know, I don't even understand. I just I just don't get it. Like I just anyway, so in in the birth video they show you is this lady doing a water birth, and it's the most it is beautiful to see. Like it's quite calming and it's it's the birth that everyone wants. And that's, that's what you want. But that birth is so unrealistic for so many women. And it's because we're all individuals and therefore we all need to be individually, individually, um, I suppose, catered for. So, and I guess that's, that causes trauma as well. The expectation uh, of how the birth should go or how a woman wants it to go. And that could be based on like, you know, what she sees, you know, what she's heard from friends. And then there's this expectation and then there's the reality of like how it actually goes. And sometimes so different, so much trauma there. Absolutely. It's this this ideology of like, I'm going to just to go in and breathe my baby out. I've done my, you know, my, um, my hypnotherapy birth classes. I've done my breathe courses blah, blah, blah. And that's really great because they can be really great tools. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm not boohooing those, those great programs, but when it comes down to it, you really don't know how your birth is going to go. And at the end of the day, there's still so much stigma around how birth happens. So whether it is vaginally, which people like to call natural, which I don't like to give it that title because I mean, it's vaginal. And then there's the cesarean and lots of people are like, you know, it's, you don't feel like they've birthed a baby because they've done a cesarean. What a crock, like absolute crock. You've still birthed just because it's come through the, you know, abdominal doesn't mean that they haven't birthed. They completely have birthed and there is no right or wrong. And when I see women come in and I, it's just a common thing that we talk about is, you know, birth and stuff. And they, you can tell that they're quite timid if they've already have booked to have a cesarean because they've got, you know, vasoprivia or they've got, which is, you know, where the placenta is covering the cervix or, you know, they've had history of, you know, um, an emergency C-section or well, there's so many different reasons or they've just elected because they just don't want to do a vaginal delivery, which is completely fine. And no one should be feel ashamed of what they want because it's their choice it's their body and that's what the whole industry is forgetting the medical industry is forgetting that these women actually matter their bodies matter and yes we all want a healthy baby that is the complete goal and but no one's kind of going hey hey you matter also your life matters also and that's what the medical industry is failing to recognize is you know, you don't go to any operation without knowing the risks associated to that operation. But with vaginal delivery, you don't get told. Cesarean you do because they don't want to do a cesarean unnecessarily or, you know, because it's more costly and that's fair enough. But that's that woman's decision. That's her choice because at the end of the day, she may have 
long-term effects from doing a vaginal delivery. And there's so many risks associated depending on your age, your genetic makeup, the, the size of the baby, um, you know, like your actual, actual, actual physical size. So whether you're like, you know, a little bit more curvaceous woman versus quite an athletic person, people think that just because you're athletic and, you know, trim and all that, that you're going to just sail through it. It doesn't work like that. I actually thought that, I actually thought, oh, breeze, I'm so fit, I'm so strong, I'm going to like smash this out. And what happened was that I, I pushed for two hours and um, the midwife was like, yes, you're, like, you're ready to push, like you can, you know, you're ready to go. So I did. So I pushed for two hours and during it, I thought, yes, I fully got this. And then there was part of me when she asked me, do you want to have a look um, with a mirror? And I was like, yeah, I do, because I love all that kind of stuff. And when she put the mirror underneath me, because I was in the squatting position, I could see that my little boy's head was kind of stuck, like something was blocking him. I didn't know what it was, but something wasn't right. And I said to her, I said, oh, look, I don't think something's right. So then she put me back on the bed and then she just went completely white. And I, at the time, I didn't know what that meant. I just thought, oh, you know, you know, I've just pushed for two hours. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, I'm fit, I'm strong. Like, you know, I've run marathons. Like, you know, I can, I can handle that. You know, I've got a really good engine, like two hours, no worries. And anyway, um, so I was only seven centimetres dilated. So I was pushing for two hours on a seven centimetre cervix and, um, and you're supposed to be 10 centimetres dilated. And, um, and that was the thing that broke my pelvic floor. So um, when it comes to my situation is that I have a levator any avulsion. And basically what that means is that part of the muscle group that holds the pelvic floor, um, the levator any muscles, the key one of them, which is the puborectalis, has completely torn off the bone from the front to the back. So if you were to have a put your fingers together to make the shape of a diamond, and if you remove your thumbs, then that's all I've got left. And if you read any papers on pelvic floor trauma, in particular to do with um, levator anti-avulsions, uh, Professor Hans Dietz, he um, is leading the field with it. And um, he talks about the um, levator um, hiatus. And basically when the puborectalis is, is kind of gone, that hiatus hole has, a, I suppose it has more of a, a chance of, of opening up, widening. And, and that is highly associated to pelvic organ prolapse. And once that muscle's gone, there's no coming back. So at this point in time, there is no surgical intervention that can fix the avulsions. Um, they're looking into STEM research, but it's still very far away. So women that do have levator any avulsion um, complications, it's, it's quite serious in terms of um, treatment because there is no surgical and not the surgical is the answer, but even kind of doing um, controversial like methods, it's, it's quite difficult. So for example, pessaries are widely used to help with pelvic organ prolapse, but if you've got an avulsion, it's quite tricky. So um, 
because the opening is so much wider. And so sometimes women have to use a cupedsary or sometimes they have to use two or three to actually help keep those organs up. So depending on the stage of prolapse as well, um, depends on how you can manage it. So um, so for me, um, I, yeah, so I pushed for two hours. The midwife was horrified. Well, she looked horrified. I can't say she was because I still don't really know, but it appeared that she was quite mortified. To this day, I don't know if she knew the ramifications of what she'd done, but she surely didn't disclose that with me. Um, so off I, I then, you know, had an epidural and I gave birth to my little boy. And for all I knew, like I walked away so happy. I just thought, you know, you know, my body's amazing. I just gave birth to this beautiful boy. Everything's great. Left. So I was like, yep, I'll see you in 12 months. I'll have my next one. And then it wasn't until four weeks postpartum that I could feel this heaviness, this bulge. And I was like, mm, that's not normal. So I completely just skipped the GPs and I went straight to a pelvic floor physio, which any, if you get anything out of today's podcast, it's this, that if you have had a baby or if you're planning to have a baby, please go see a pelvic floor physio because they are worth their weight in gold. Mm-hmm. So um, they can tell you so much about your pelvic floor. They can tell you how to engage it if you don't know. And they can also kind of direct you to professionals if you need to go have some medical imaging to confirm what they're seeing. So whether that's elevator any avulsion or whether it's, you know, to do with the anal sphincter. So if you've had a grade three or grade four, you should really go get a 3D peritoneal um, ultrasound to kind of check t- check the rectal sphincter so to make sure that the external and the internal sphincter is still intact because that will impact your ability in terms of you know fecal incontinence you know you know wind all that kind of thing so and it will help you with not only manage your life from that point onwards but also kind of come to terms of like this all makes sense. I understand why this is happening. So it can help with your healing process. Because mm. I know when I went and saw my physio and she did the internal assessment and she was like, oh, you know, you're quite weak. And then she's like, go away, do some exercises. And then I came back and I'm like, Sharon, it's still not happening. And then she's like, oh, I really think you need to go get a, an ultrasound. And I was like, yep, no worries. Let's do that. And then COVID hit. Um, <laughs> so I had to wait a little bit. And then I finally went and saw a physio, uh, sorry, a um, urogynecologist up in the Gold Coast. And that's when she diagnosed me with the bilateral levator avulsions. And I didn't expect that. I thought, oh, maybe a partial. But I didn't expect bilateral. I mean, I've got these two little fibers that are hanging on on the left-hand side. But, I mean, they're gone. Like, they're shot. And I just remember looking at the screen and being a sonographer, I was looking at it going, I can't even sugarcoat this and think, I can't even look at this. Like, I can't read ultrasound. I can't, I couldn't even do that. Like, I couldn't even live in ignorance. Like, I had to look at it and go, <laughs> I totally see it. Like, I can't even just be like, oh, yeah, I don't really understand it. Like, I could just see, like, this massive defect. And my whole world came crashing down after that. And then I think the most infuriating thing about it all was that no one told me. And that is such a common thing when people talk about birth trauma, people will say that no one told me. And then when you talk to midwives or you talk to doctors, they go, but we didn't want to scare you. And I think there's a load of crock again. I just think 
Yes. What do you mean you didn't want to scare me? So you didn't want to inform me. That's what you really mean. You didn't want to do your job properly. That's what you mean. Because you didn't give me the knowledge to give me power to then for make them for me to make my decision of what I do with my body. So kind of going, well, if I had known, so once I went and saw, so just before I go into that, I got my diagnosis from Vivian Wong. And then I was like, oh my God. And cause she basically said, you know, limited exercise, you can't walk down hills, you know, like you won't be able to use baby carriers. Like, you know, you got to be really careful when you pick up the sun. So my whole world, my whole identity got flipped on its head. You know, like I'm a woman that my body, everything I asked of it, it always done. Like if I wanted to do CrossFit, if I wanted to do surfboard rowing, if I wanted to run a marathon, my body never let me down. And that was my identity. I, I love my sport. That's who I am, you know. And then this lady was telling me like, no, that you can't do that anymore, actually. You can, but you may turn him from a grade two to a grade four prolapse. What that means is that instead of my prolapse being still inside my vagina, it would be outside. So you would visibly see my bladder outside my, my vagina. And that terrified me. So I ceased everything. I stopped because I was told and I was also worried about making it worse. So then I went looking for information, like how, how could I miss this? How could no one tell me about this? And that's when I found Peter. And people will either love him or hate him. Um, despite what the um, the media has portrayed him as, he's actually an amazing human being. You know, he's very passionate about women and women's health and about making sure that they are looked after. Because when I went and saw him, he said to me, Ashley, if the health system had done the right thing by you, I would be without a job. You shouldn't be sitting here in front of me. And people think that he's quite arrogant and this and that, but it's not the case at all. He's just frustrated with the system that are wedding, letting, letting down women. And midwifery keeps saying that he's pro-cesarean. He's not pro-cesarean. He's pro what is right for the individual. And like he said to me, he sat me down. He said, actually, if you came to me for an assessment during your pregnancy, I would have said you had a 5% five, 5 chance of developing what you have. 5%. So low. So low. So if he was pro-cesarean, he would have been like, you should have had a cesarean, blah, blah, blah. But no, he was like, I would have been happy for you to have a vagina delivery. But what had happened was that I had a midwife that didn't assess me properly. And look, we don't live in a perfect world. And I, and I get that. And everyone makes mistakes. And I understand that. I mean, like, I, like I said before, I'm a sonographer and it's not a perfect science. And I would hate to think that I would, would hurt somebody or let somebody down. But at the same time, I like to think that I try and keep very informed with up-to-date research and do my job to the best of my ability. And every time I've met a, a midwife, I'm astonished with how much they don't know about pelvic floor and pelvic floor trauma. They're it stuck is crazy. back in the 80s. Stuck back in the eighties, probably like even like prehistoric, like nineteen hundreds. I don't know. Like, yeah. yeah, it's 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 crazy. And like I, I I talked to this lady the other day who was just a newly graduate of a, of midwifery, and I said to her, "Can I ask you a question?" And she's like, "Yeah, sure." And I said, "What do you learn about in terms of the pelvic floor during your studies?" 
And she goes, oh, you know, we learn about the muscles and we learn about, you know, um, about how to do the exercises. And I said, tell me this, do you, do you know about the evolutions of the puberectalis? And she, went she just went completely white and just completely like looked at me like I was speaking a different language. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, one in three of your patients will have this. I'm not like, I do want to make a statement that I'm not having a go at midwives. And I'm sure there's some brilliant midwives that do know about the pelvic floor. And I, I do respect them. Um, I suppose just the ones I've come encounter with, I just, you know, haven't been that impressed with. Yeah, it's a but, system as well. So like the doctor it, said, it's yeah. and it's it's like university in itself and the research yes. is just so far behind. It takes them a really long time. You know, it's the same in the medical world and there's only so much that they can teach them and, and there's so mm. many variables to this around, you know, why yes. maybe it is a gap. Uh, and unfortunately, it takes stories like yours and, and mm. the work of, um, you know, people like the doctors, the specialists that you've yeah. seen for, for that to make its way in to, mm. to the degree, to, to the yeah. studies. That's true. And that's very true, Amy. And um, I just think that, you know, it's, it's just, yeah, it just amazes me so much. And um, anyway, they always leave and they think, oh, they, like, I'll go look that up. And I just think, well, by sharing the story, you know, they will learn from that and then hopefully they will go, okay, like if this was to happen, at least I can say to the woman, unfortunately I, I didn't, you know, I didn't assess you properly or because you've had like a really long second stage and you've pushed for three hours plus, I really want you to be aware of, you know, pelvic or organ prolapse or, you know, nerve damage or weakening of the pelvic floor or you might have some incontinence, at least give the woman some heads up. Give the woman some information so they can be like so they can get treatment early so they can kind of go hey thank you so much like I I will make sure I follow up with a pelvic floor physio because when I shared my story on Facebook the amount of women that wrote into me and were like oh my god like I I didn't know this was even a thing and I do have this heaviness and I do have this you know these sensations and and they've been living like this in silence for so long and that's not okay. That's totally not okay. And um, and I and yeah, so I hope that, you know, by talking about it, that people can learn from it and then things will change. And I think that's why it's so great that women are speaking out and it is getting on like social media. And that's just the way that the world is at the moment. It's all about social media and podcasts and things like that, that we can get the word out to make real change. And that's why this petition that they've wrote, it's it's so amazing because you know, even in the States, you know, women or all over the world globally, you know, women are suffering. And one thing that really irks me is that people say, you know, oh, but women have been birthing for millions of years, like from the day of dawn. And that is very true. But they've also been suffering for that long as well. You know, like, and that's, that's, that's the difference. You know, in Australia, in the US, we shouldn't be seeing this. We should be seeing only a very low percentage. And that's the issue is that, you know, it's, these numbers are so high and they shouldn't be this high. So, and that's the issue. And 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 then not even that, it's kind of knowing to where, where to go from here. So like if someone wants to sustain injury like myself, where to, do, to direct them and how do they heal from that? Because I know that I've got PTSD from it, not from my birth per se, but just from my journey, 
of kind of going, why? 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 Why isn't this talked about? Why did I have to stumble across this and then kind of get so upset that people aren't educated on this topic when it's so prevalent, not common, prevalent? I, it just, it really kind of affected me because it affected my identity and how I live my life. And, you know, I'm still working through that. So, um, because, you know, as much as yoga and Pilates is really beautiful and, you know, it's something that I probably do need to practice. I love sweating it out. I always have, but kind of knowing how I can get back to that, it's a journey within itself. And I suppose for a while I went from the identity of, hi, I'm Ashley, I'm really into sport, to hi, I'm Ashley and I've got pelvic floor trauma. And it does become your identity while you kind of move through that grieving process because it is grief. It's like you're grieving over a loss of, of yourself. And it's not, and, you know, motherhood does change you to a degree, but when you've got other things compiled on top of that, it's, it's grief to deal with on top of, you know, with that as well. And it's just, it's really hard. And I really feel for women that feel like they don't have a voice and they're sitting there in silence because, you know, they wonder why postnatal um, depression is so prevalent. And yes, there could be other issues apart from birth trauma. But if one in three women are associating their birth as traumatic, then you have to think, well, these two are highly related so um so in terms of moving forward and how to kind of deal with it it's making sure you've got a good gp making sure that you know if you don't shop around it's like anything it's like anything in the medical world that if you go to somebody and they're not listening to you do not be afraid to offend them do not be afraid to go get a second opinion because at the end of the day you you live with your body every day so and there is going to be somebody out there who will listen so find a gp get a referral go see a pelvic floor physio if you don't need a referral to go see a pelvic floor physio just go book yourself into one skip the gp go see one work with them if again if you're not happy with them go see somebody else you know um and be kind to yourself you know i think i used to think that's such a wishy-washy term like be kind to yourself like I'm being completely honest I was like what does that even mean (laughs) (laughs) and so I and and then I think through this journey you know it kind of like taught me you know like I am you know quite hard on myself and I was hard on myself for this whole situation and then I was like I get it like I just need to I just need to be kind to myself I need to give my body the time to recover I need to give my my mind the time to digest what has happened and then collectively make a path of what my future now looks like. And I have been kind of working with this program called Pop Uplift and it's quite a good resource for people that have pelvic organ prolapse because it kind of, it's all research-based and there's one lady who's a physiotherapist and one that's a doctor in physiotherapy and Basically, their thing is that you can do anything with pop, but it's all individual. So it's all about trial and error. It's how you feel. And it's all about do the risks outweigh the benefits or do the benefits outweigh the risks? 
And I think that's such a beautiful way of looking at it and moving forward is that you have to kind of work out what are you willing to risk and are the benefits worth that? And if they are, great, go for it. But if you think that the risks aren't worth it, then just find a different avenue. And so, yes, that's a really good resource. Um, I know that psychologists and counsellors are really good, but I think it's in particular really important to find one that specialises in birth trauma. So make sure you see someone who specialises in that. And other places, like there's peer support groups. So in Australia, we've got a lady, um, Amy Dowles. She helped birth the, the Australasian Birth Trauma Association. And that's a non-for-profit organization. And it has this beautiful program where it's peer support. So you basically get paired with another lady who's further along in their journey um, that has a similar birth story to you. So from, for instance, me, um, if I was to ring up, they would try and pair me with somebody who had has Levada any avulsions, you know, and, you know, that way it would help me kind of talk about my symptoms, talk, talk about like how my life looks. They don't give you necessarily medical advice, but they can just give you support because sometimes all you want is someone to listen because you feel so ripped off. You yeah. feel like, how, how could this happen to me? Why did this happen to me? Like, this is crap. So sometimes you just need someone to listen and someone just to kind of go, I hear you and your story completely matters. Yeah, I can imagine you feel so alone sometimes, especially when a lot of, like a a lot of women, maybe, you know, one in three, like you said, but, Mm. you know, no one's talking about it and there's shame around it or they, they don't know that it's like not normal and they're not really sure what's happening and then Mm. no one's talking about it. And then you have this, like, you just feel alone. Oh, absolutely. Like I, I feel so like, (laughs) I mean, I'm still pretty fresh. I mean, like I'm only 15 months postpartum and I definitely still in that stage where I feel so lonely because, I mean, I'm very vocal very vocal about my experience because that's just the way that I am. And, um, and sometimes when I'm talking to people, I'm just waiting for someone to go, oh, I've got that too. You know, like, you know, I, I know exactly how you feel. And I suppose like I'm still, not that I'm, I'm, I suppose I'm talking about it because I want people to be aware and so they don't feel alone. But at the same time, I'm kind of hoping that I'm going to make this connection where I'm not going to feel like I'm so alone. You know, someone's going to be like, yeah, I've got that. And I'm, you know, I'm back running or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And, you know, to kind of give me a little bit of hope because sometimes all you need is a little bit of hope because I think that was the thing when I first started digging and I just felt like I was going down this well and I, I I was trying to grab onto anything and every time I turned or looked at something it was just this big black like stop sign like you know there was all these like no 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 like no you can't do this and no you can't do that there is no surgery there is no like there was there was this whole kind of like no hope and so all I wanted was someone just to kind of go you do have hope you can do this it will get better you know and by, you know, by some, by no means is my situation as nearly as awful as some women, like some women, my heart just cries for them because their whole life changes. Like sometimes they can't even go back to work. Sometimes they can't even, you know, stand for longer than two hours a day and they have to lie back down to kind of help draw back the pelvic organs back into their body. Like some women 
are so disabled for the rest of their life. Like, you know, so by no means is my situation like that. And like I said, my heart cries for those, cries for those women. But for those women, I believe that they all they want is hope too. You know, that's that there is going to be light at the end of the tunnel and that someone's by saying just one small thing, it could just make the world a difference. So it's like when I'm scanning women because I do pelvic floor imaging as well. And like you get a variety of women that walk through the door and um, people are always amazed when they look at me because I'm quite open. I'm like, oh yeah, I've got, you know, I've got prolapse. I've got a sister still. And they look at me and they're like, you, you have this. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I've got this. And then immediately you can just see the reassurance and just the feeling of like, I'm not alone. And I know that not everyone's like that, but sometimes, you know, you just never know who you're going to touch. And so, yeah. Yeah. Touched mm. by the story. It's Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you said that, uh, like, what is the research so new? Is that like, there's no surgical intervention for the healing mm. process, but mm. Is there any other research around like what the healing journey looks like? I know it's super individual, but are they researching it? Yeah. So um, Prof Dietz is probably the biggest person that's been researching into it. So really kind of like the research has been going for about 10 years and that comes paired with the medical imaging. So um, so we are still pretty fresh. Uh, so it's been around for a decade, but um, they still there there was one paper written by him and forgive me I can't remember the actual title of it but I'll find it and send it to you but there was belief that there was um two patients maybe it was more than two patients anyway two of them actually over time I think they had a partial avulsion and they actually then fully recovered um in terms of their anatomy but in terms of the full bilateral I don't think that was the case so in terms of healing, you can strengthen the rest of the pelvic floor. And by strengthening the rest of what you have, the body is amazing at compensating, whether it's vascular, whether it's, you know, in musculature, whether it's neural, whatever, like, you know, never underestimate the body, the human body, because it is pretty amazing. Um, so for me, for example, when I saw Prof Dietz, he did the internal assessment and he first he did the ultrasound and he was like, no, she's definitely, she's definitely got the evolutions, but what is that? And at that stage, I was kind of like, well, what are you talking about? And I'm looking at the screen and at the stage I couldn't re- like really read the rest of the anatomy. And he, then he did um, an internal assessment and he's like, that's really fascinating. He's like, your iliocoxygeus has made a second shelf. So even though the pubic rectalis has, has completely evolved, because I've been working so hard with my pelvic floor physio, um, my body had just made a second shelf with the iliocoxygeal. So for me, that that is largely why I don't have the symptoms of my cystocele. It's because of this strong iliocoxygeal. So it was quite funny because he was doing the internal assessment and he's like literally hanging onto it. And he's like, can you feel that? And I'm like, well, yeah, like you're hanging yeah. off like... <laughs> So that was quite funny. Um, so it was, you know, um, but I was really proud of my body. I'm like, wow. But I literally had walked away from his consult where he was like, Ashley, go live your life. You know, like, oh, you know, go live your life. But so cool. 
it was so cool, but I'm still in this crossroad where I'm like, but I still have this injury, but it's about now it's about believing in my body, body again, you know, kind of, you know, building that, I suppose, positive relationship with my body and not being scared of it again. So, um, but yeah, so that's a great example of, you know, working with a pelvic floor physio, not saying that's going to happen to every person, but definitely by strengthening the pelvic floor, strengthening your glutes, your hamstrings, you know, your abdominal, you know, core as well. I mean, they're all interlinked, like your body, you know, it's like the the hammock at the bottom of the pelvic floor and then you've got your core set at the very top, you know, they're all interlinked, you know, so you can't just strengthen, you know, one muscle group. It, yeah. And, you know, Amy, you'd be so yeah. all over this, you know, it's, it's a, the whole body you know, needs to be strengthened. So I am working on that. Like I've got no butt at the moment, but I have to get my butt back <laughs> um, and my quads and all that. So it's like people see me now and they're like, Ashley, you look so different. You're so skinny now. And it's like, it's because you're so used to seeing me so muscular, like so with so much muscle. And it's because I haven't done anything for so long. I've, it, I've lost it all. So that's my goal to get back to being my strong athletic self again. But um, so healing can work like that. So getting your body fit again, you know, strengthening the things that you do have left. And hopefully in time, your body will retrain to use the things that you still have left to compensate, to help with the long-term kind of management of it. Because unfortunately with prolapse, and this is where it kind of fits in with Amy's work, it's all to do with hormones. It's all to do with the menstrual cycle. So while we're still in that, you know, while we're still menstruating at different stages of our cycle. So when estrogen is quite low, that's when symptoms will be quite noticeable or around ovulation so and then when we go into you know menopause when estrogen is obsolete basically and that's when women if you haven't already had symptoms of prolapse are most likely to get the symptoms then because estrogen is so low so that's why they have to have estrogen supplements or creams or whatever to help with the atrophy and to help with the symptoms so working with someone like Amy to kind of know your menstrual cycle, if you do have prolapse, could be amazing because you could be like, all right, I know my estrogen is going to be low around day 14. You know, what exercises could I do or how could I treat my body, etc. So, um, and I think that's how this all kind of started, Amy, wasn't it? Because yeah. you're going to write a book and I was like, you should totally talk about prolapse. <laughs> yeah. Well, it originally, I originally connected with you after you wrote your story on Facebook mm, mm. and I just saw a uh, pop like pelvic organ prolapse. And I yeah. just was immediately drawn to that. And then obviously mm. your story and I connected mm. with you on that because mm. I hadn't heard that much about it. You know, I work with yeah. a lot of women, they see a mm. lot of pelvic floor specialists, especially yeah. women. I think we, when we had our chat, I was telling you that over the years, I've kind of like connected this like back pain and chronic hip pain that, mm. you know, th even through mobility, flexibility, rehab, mm. strengthening work, like I couldn't, you know, we couldn't quite figure out. So I would just send mm. them all to pelvic floor specialists. Mm. And what they were finding was that they were just so hypertonic. They were so yes. hypertonic. And then again, mm. we're not taught that, you know, we're always no. taught to like squeeze as hard as you can and like yeah. contract and like, but, and then, you know, all these women were doing all this in this like 
hypertonic stuff and this full tension and, and never learning to like fully like release and relax it. So they were mm. getting secondary hip pain from it. And so mm. most of the women that I work with, if they have given birth, I send them mm. to a pelvic floor specialist. And I don't care if it's Perfect. been like 15, 20, 25 years. I just, oh, I send them brilliant. and I'm like, you need to go and see a pelvic floor specialist. Like, let's have a look what's actually happening in there. Mm. What's going on? Um, mm. Because a lot of women I've just seen in the last 13 years, chronic back pain, chronic hip mm. pain. And I'm mm. like, okay, what? Like, what kind mm. of, you know, and there's, like you said, there's like, there's loads of variables and, mm. you know, there can be other things that go on. Mm. But one of the things I've linked it into was that they actually had a bit of a traumatic birth. Yeah. And they never got the care afterwards. Mm. They didn't ever see it. Pelvic floor specialists didn't exist really like 20, 30 years ago. And no. so they never got the support and they've been mm. dealing with this like chronic back and hip pain for so long, but it's like mm. connected in, obviously, like you said, everything's connected. And so yes. it's teaching them about their pelvic floor and, mm. and how to control it and contract it and relax it and understand it. And mm. It's interesting you say that because I, when I was first diagnosed and I was working with my physio, I said to her, I said, I've just got this unbelievable piriformis pain. And it's almost like my obturators were just locked on. So everything was just locked on because obviously I had this trauma. And so, um, yeah, so it's interesting that you say that because it's so true. Like everything is so related and especially with hip pain and buttocks pain and lower back, like if you've had a traumatic birth and there is maybe something going on, everything's going to lock on. It's like any injury. Your body's going to go into that protective mechanism and kind of go, hang on, we need to protect. We need to like just stop everything so you listen and slow down. Yeah, but no one so, was looking inside. Like no one was doing, no. like everyone was looking at, hey, you got lower back pain. Let's look at like, you know, the normal yeah. presentation. Hey, you yeah. have some hip pain. Let's like kind of look what's going on. Mm. And I was like, no, I think we like need to look inside. Yeah. <laughs> like, like there's brilliant. Love when you it. Think about birth, like it is traumatic. Your body goes through a trauma, you know? It's yeah. like, it's an experience. And whether you're, you know, you have a great birthing story and, everything went pretty well, but it's still trauma for the body. <laughs> it's oh, just absolutely. like, roll, you know, rolling the ankle or doing something mm. there is. Yeah. And so to that birthing experience, there is a story that happens in the body. Now, not saying it's going to happen to every woman, but mm. you know, we can start to dig deeper and think, okay, like if there is something going on that you haven't been able to figure out and you've seen so many people for years or decades mm. and you haven't connected in with a pelvic floor specialist, like go and do mm. that. Let's have a look around what's like happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, I think that's so good, Amy, because I'll, you're right. So many people just don't look inside and kind of go, hang on. Like, is there something more going on? How is your pelvic floor? You know? Um, and it could just be the missing piece of the puzzle and yeah. it could just be like, wow, we could have dealt with this years ago. Yeah. 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. 20 years <laughs> which ago. I, which I say to some of the women that I work with that mm. finally we figure out that, Hey, actually, super yes. traumatic birth, so much scar tissue, hypertonic oh. pelvic floor, yep. you know, a lot's going on in there that, mm. okay, we need to do some work with the pelvic floor mm. physio over time, reduce yep. back pain, reduce hip pain. Mm. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's really, mm. it's really cool stuff. 
And I think it's really important if people that are listening, if they are pregnant and they do have like quite a hypertonic pelvic floor, like extremely, extremely tight, that they do really learn to relax it. And because that is a risk factor in itself that, you know, especially if you're quite athletic, because generally we do have quite hypertonic pelvic floors. So um, I think it's really important to, to really learn and master their ability to, to relax it. And again, it was something that was really brushed over, um, completely brushed over and something that wasn't really drummed in and kind of going, this is really important, Ashley. Like you are fantastic at, you know, gritting and pushing through things, but you need to be able to relax. And when you're in a state of giving birth vaginally and you're going through labor, there is nothing relaxing about that. Like, unless you've had an epidural, that is like, and then you've had a, a, a good epidural because not everyone has a positive epidural experience. But if you've had a positive epidural experience, you're on like cloud nine. Like, it's just like bliss. But while you're kind of riding out those contractions, being able to just kind of like, you know, really breathe through those contractions and let the pelvic floor relax, it's, it's, you know, so important for, for birth because you've, if you're holding on and gritting and pushing, your pelvic floor is more than likely going to burst because it's like if you, you know, if you had a balloon and you're trying to like, I don't know, push an apple through it and you were squeezing the orifice, so the neck of the balloon, you're trying to push this apple through it, the, the tissue is just going to, like the balloon's going to tear away. And it's the same thing. So if the balloon just relaxed at its neck and pushed the apple through, then less likelihood of actually, you know, causing damage. So I think that's a really good point to actually raise that being quite, you know, being able to relax the pelvic floor and learn to do that is just as important as being able to activate it. Yeah, well, one of the most, yeah, one of the most surprising things, like when we had our conversation was around, uh, you know, when Professor Dietz told you some of the, um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, indicators. Factors or indicators yes. for potentially, yeah. you know, experiencing this. And mm. the one that surprised me the most was actually if you are really fit, you have a lot of muscle mass, you're really mm. strong, the body is, can be quite hypertonic, that that mm. could not always as because it's individual, but it could increase your risk. It could yeah. be an indicator that you may suffer mm. more trauma. May, may. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. I thought was like, oh, wow. Because like yeah. you said, and I've heard this so many times by uh, from so many women that train, that they're fit, they're strong, but they've mm. really struggled, whether it's in like the, the birth, like the, tra- like the trauma of the birth or afterwards, just that mm. they no one prepared them for like just what was going to go on with the body and the positions that they Mm. were going to be in and the pain that they experienced. And yeah. So Mm. like you said, we have this, you know, we, we may be fit, we may be strong, but you know, it, it may not help. It may help us, but it may not as well. It depends what's going on in the body. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think too, like, you know, sometimes when you have that innate ability to just, you know, you're very strong athletic. And usually if you're like that, you're, you know, you've got that really strong mental kind of focus. So when you're in that state of like, I've got this task to do, you know, like you kind of just get into this trance and this focus and that sometimes you, you check out a little bit of your body in a sense. 
And it's imp- and I think it's like important that you try and check back in, kind of going, well, hang on, this isn't actually working for me. I actually do need to relax or I do need to get a second opinion or I need to whatever it is, you know what I mean? Just take five minutes just to be like, all right, reset. What is actually going on here? Rather than trying to do rip, tear, bust, because that's literally what can happen, rip, tear, bust. And that's not the thing that you want. But I think, you know, moving forward with like people that are pregnant is that, you know, do what is right for you. You know, like do not try. I've read this brilliant book by, um, where is it? Stephanie, I forget her name, but I'll send you the thing. It's called The Day My Vagina Broke. (laughs) And it's actually quite a good read because it's, it's her journey, but I could really relate to it because when you, kind of go into prenatal care okay, well, or anything really you're always trying to be well I know I am I can't say everyone is but I know like you I didn't want to rock the boat I wanted to be the perfect patient I wanted to like I didn't want to go and go in and be like look I've googled this blah 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 um or you know um you know how many of you did um you know birth have you actually performed I didn't want to be that person I want to be this perfect patient where I was just super crazy but what I've learned is that screw that yeah don't do not even go there be your advocate be your advocate and this is why this is what I love what you're doing is because to advocate to to ask questions to get curious Uh, yes you want a healthy baby and you want it to be about the baby but make it about you ask these questions yeah like demand to know, demand to know what's going on, demand all mm. the information, like just demand yeah. to see anything that you can possibly see. Uh, and yeah. then if they don't, like you said, get a second, get, go to another doctor, get mm. a second opinion. Exactly. Like, you know, and it's all about that. I think that's the biggest movement is that be your advocate, be your voice. You know, like if you're not sure, ask that question, you know, like, because you're either going to get two responses. You're going to get someone who's like, yep, this is what you have to be worried about, blah, blah. Or you're going to get someone who's like a stun mullet kind of going, I don't really know. And they'll either try and bullshit you or they will go, I'll get back to you. And if the other person goes, I'll get back to you, then that's great. But if you've got a bullshitter, you need to get out of there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, um, I think that's, the biggest thing that I have learned through this whole journey is that, you know, I'm a big believer as much as no one wants to kind of go through any sort of trauma in their life, whether it's, you know, birth trauma or whatever. But I, I suppose I do believe that things do happen for a reason. And, and I think this has kind of happened. So, you know, I can help other people advocate for themselves and, you know, spread that word because I mean, my my actual best friend just gave birth uh, in January and she was an amazing advocate for herself. So she had a horrendous induction pro, like process where she was quite traumatized from it. And in the end, she just said, you know, no more. I'm going for a Caesar and that's just the way it is. And they were still hassling her as they were rolling her into theatre for the cesarean. And they're like, you know, you sure you want to do this, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, yes, I'm not letting you near my vagina. I'm having a Caesar and thank God she did because she would have ended in an emergency Caesar anyway. So sometimes you, well, all the time, you have to listen to you. 
you have to listen and know what's best for you. Like, and if you are over the age of 30 and having babies, like, even I suppose I'm saying this because it is a risk factor and I'm saying this because the prevalence of having babies we're having them much much later in life like you know 32 is the new is, is you know the average age and you know and you know much later and there's nothing wrong with that you know like you women have to do and men you have to do what's right for you and when it's right for you there is no kind of right or wrong age but you know at the same time it's just being aware of if you were to have children later there are more risks associated with that not necessarily defects with the baby but you as an individual and that's important to talk about yeah and again the the thing that gets spoken about is the baby the again it's the risk of what you know the defect or you know what's going to happen with the baby potentially yeah Uh, but it's it's not being spoken about around like the the body and yeah the logical perspective or chronologic like chronologically like your age and potentially what could happen now you know I've known women that are like in their late 30s and their 40s and they've had babies and and they're they had amazing births and they're fine yeah Yeah. but it's like but and I think the point is like you said Ash it's just like advocate well awareness first Mm -hmm. is like let's be aware of all of this yeah like the whole umbrella umbrella of like the pregnancy birthing process of everything that could happen now Mm -hmm. not from a fear-based perspective but it should be from an empowerment perspective like we shouldn't want to avoid knowing these things like you said what you didn't Mm -hmm. want to tell me because you didn't want to scare me no actually Mm -hmm. like I want to be told because I want to just know yeah it's like thing and then I think the second thing that you're speaking about is okay you have the awareness so then you can advocate yeah you can advocate and kind of go you know like I um you know some people are like you know after hearing all this like I don't want to take that risk so I not saying this there are risks associated with cesareans and they're aware of it but at least if something was to go pear-shaped and hope for God, like nothing ever does for anyone, because I never wish it upon anyone but if something was to kind of go pear-shaped at least you were like well, I consented to this. I, it was my, I rolled the dice of my, of my fate. The dice wasn't in the hands of somebody else. And that's what really annoyed me was that someone else rolled my bloody dice. And it's like, that wasn't, that wasn't yours to roll. That was mine. And you didn't give me that. And that's not okay. And so, yeah. So I, I think, yeah, if anything, you know, from this podcast, it's like definitely be your advocate, you know, go see a good pelvic floor physio, you know, be that annoying patient, you know. Yes, I love be, being the annoying patient. Yeah, just be I that was, annoying yes, patient. I was the annoying student as well during oh, university, me. the one that would like knock on the professor's door all of the time going, I have yeah. questions, I want to know. And I know you're the same, yeah. Ash. Oh, we're, absolutely. We're those, we're those people, you know, that like, yeah you know Definitely. go and search and want to know and ask questions Definitely. and yeah I'm that person so I would be that person that would just be nope I'm not done yet I have like yeah. I want to know all these questions <laughs> Definitely and I think that's what annoyed me about this whole journey was that I I didn't stay true to myself so stay true to yourself and that's what annoyed me was that why why in all the times was I not annoying like why didn't I just hassle them like why did I give them all this like I don't know this this power why did I give them the power 
why did I do that? The and system because, as well. Because it was a system and a I just hierarchy wanted to, and yeah. Yeah. And I just wanted to trust. So I didn't say true to myself. So definitely every woman out there, stay true to yourself. Be that annoying patient. You know, don't worry what they say behind closed doors because at the end of the day, yeah. you matter and your story matters. And I suppose another thing, you know, I should touch on is that, you know, fertility as well. Like if you feel that things aren't right, go see a good fertility doctor. Don't mess around with, you know, all the little guys. Go straight to the top guy because, you know, as women, we do have a window. We do. And that, you know, I don't. And, and again, I see this in my job that, you know, it, it really doesn't matter if you're 20 or, you, or you're 40, you know, egg quality can be affected at any age, particularly more at, you know, in later age and in life. But, you know, issues can, you know, happen, you know, people have these like diseases, whether it's PCO or PCOS or endometriosis, or you've got autoimmune issues or whatever, don't fall into the trap my mom and my grandma and my sister didn't have issues. So I'm not going to have issues. Like if you feel that something isn't right or you want an opinion, go see someone who specializes in that. So, you know, I, I see it all the time. These women come in and they so desperately want to have babies. And if they had only known or got things checked. So if you've got really painful periods or, you know, don't, don't trust an ultrasound. Like I'm a sonographer, but, and I, you know, we do do deep infiltrating endometriosis scans. We're not God's scan standard. Like we, it's still developing, but you really need to go get a, go see a gyno and get a proper assessment. Like, I think that's another thing. It's endometriosis is another thing that's close to my heart because again, it's a silent epidemic with women. Yes. And it's terrible because sometimes women come and, you know, they've got stage four and it's completely wrapped around their bowel and they're having a bowel resection because it was missed because people have been like, painful periods, just deal with it, you're a girl, move on. Or sometimes people, you know, they don't know they have these symptoms until have endometriosis until they're trying to fall pregnant. So I'm not saying go, everyone go bang on the door and go get a lap row. But what I'm saying is that, you know, you know, if you are seeking to have a baby and things aren't happening within six months, definitely go see a fertility doctor. And, you know, and if, if you've got a good fertility doctor, they won't be like, yep, straight to IVF. They, and I had it, I suppose my experience with my fertility doctor, he was beautiful. He just said to me, you know, like, you know, and I know every person's situation is different, but he just said to me, you know, Ash, you know, IVF is, is to do with the power of number. So every cycle you release one egg, generally speaking, some people can by, by um, ovulate, but generally it's one egg release. But IVF is a power of number. So you are medicated to maybe stimulate, let's say you've got 10 follicles and 10 of those follicles may meet criteria. So you've got 10 chances of creating little embryos or whatever. So that's what IVF is about. But when it comes down to it, you have to be ready, you know. So if you, you know, it comes down to like if you want to go down the IVF path, then you can, you know. Um, but 
it has to be on your terms. So don't let anyone push you around again. So, you know, if you kind of feel like, no, I want to give, you know, trying. And again, I hate the word natural because at the end of the day, a baby's a baby, regardless of how it was conceived, it really doesn't matter. But, you know, so however you conceive and have a baby, no one cares. Again, I think that's another stigma that really annoys me because like people come in and they're like, oh, it's an IVF pregnancy. And I'm like, great, cool. No one cares. Move on. Like, you know, um, in terms of like, I know they may have had a struggle, but I don't want them to feel shame about it. So I think fertility, don't feel shame about it because it's more common than what people, again, talk about. Yeah, and this is why my work kind of went to the cycle because if we can't yeah. even have a conversation about our menstrual cycle and we don't even know yeah. our own cycle, how can yeah. we advocate for ourselves when it comes to fertility, when it comes to yeah. our pregnancy, when it comes to our birth, when it yeah. comes to, you know, all of these other yeah. things in our life, you know, this mm. thing that we, you know, in our cycle years that we have, Mm. We should be able to talk about it. We need to understand it. We need to know Definitely. our own cycle because mm. knowing the cycle is really the first piece to like building that trust with your body. And exactly. Then, you don't trust your body and then you're going to enter the space of like fertility mm. or infertility. You're going to enter the mm. space of pregnancy and then birth and then postpartum mm. that they're all going to shake that trust with your body. And if you already start off by not knowing anything about the body or the mm. cycle, and mm. you know, if you don't have this healthy, regular, you know, cycle that arrives on time for you, because it's different for every woman, but mm. you, it should, like you said, like painful periods, like that's not normal. It can, it's really common, but it's like, yeah. it's not normal. There's nice. these things that are actually not normal, severe, like, PMS, not normal, unfortunately exactly. common. Yeah. Just because of like, mm. st- like multiple different things, whether it's like yeah. undiagnosed PCOS or endometriosis mm. or it's severe mm. stress or it's thyroid mm. or hormonal problems. Mm. But I think that's where it needs to start is actually, no, you should have a healthy, normal, regular menstrual cycle. It should arrive on time. Mm. It can look a little different depending on what's going mm. on in your life for sure. Mm. Mm. this is where this conversation starts I I I totally agree with you and I see it all the time because I mean like pelvic floor I mean not pelvic floor pelvic imaging is um something that I do daily and the first question is what day of your cycle are you at and how long is your cycle for and very rare can someone answer that question quickly they can kind of go I'm day 12 and I have a 32 day cycle usually they go oh I don't know yeah and, hold on, let me pull out my app here or let me actually yeah. I don't even track it I'm not even yeah sure. yeah I'm not even sure and stuff and I suppose before, again before you know I started it became really aware to me when I started when I became a sonographer I was like people are just so out of touch with themselves and I think it comes again down to stigmas again like we just don't talk about periods because that's a bit hush hush like no one wants to talk about that it's like no one wants to talk about bowel movements like that's like oh like let's not that's really taboo so again I think it's really inspiring the work you're doing because it's starting the conversation it's the foundation it 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 tells you so much about yourself and about what is going on internally so for me at the moment I I always had irregular cycles and I now have a 32 day cycle which is like 
hell yes, so great. But, but I was like, you know what? I don't think I'm ovulating. And so being the nosy person I am, I was like, mm, I'm sus on you body. Like, because, you know, even, um, you know, after you have babies, your cycles can change as you would know. And so I was like, you, you appear all good sister but you're not so I was like (laughs) so I I was scanning myself because you know you can see when ovulation happens and things like that and then I started working with a fertilian nurse and um I was like I really don't think I'm ovulating I think I I think I have a cycle but I think that it's a I think it's phony I think my body's tricking me and yeah and actually I I'm my cycle is a cycle that doesn't have ovulation but it's but it's regular so again, it's a great example of like, if you're sus on yourself or whatever, go ask the questions get the tests done, be that annoying patient because I, like, mm. because I also have um, a bit of hyper, hyperthyroidism after having Heath and, um, <clears throat> and I was like, oh, this is so annoying body. Like, what are you doing? And so now I've got to like sort that out and things like that but again it's just being in check of yourself and it all starts at looking at your cycle going how long are you going for are you every 28 days or every 35 days are you are you in that normal range if you are great are you behaving the way you're supposed to be behaving if not do i need to investigate you yeah are you ovulating yeah yeah are you ovulating like are you actually doing the things you're supposed to be doing and if it's ticking all that, then great, happy days. But if it's not, and that's okay too. You just need to find the right people to work with. But always be suspicious, always. And if you are, be that annoying person, be that advocate. So be curious. Yeah, yeah be yeah. curious around the body. You need, yeah. To, yeah, you need to know, know your body. You need to build trust with it because that trust is going to be tested. You know, exactly. whether it's an experience like you had or an injury or whatever it is, it will be tested. And there'll be times where, you know, there's distrust with the body. And if you've never really built trust with it before, it's, it's really hard. It's hard to yeah. rebuild trust with the body. And, and I think it's kind of funny that, you know, like we, the body is amazing and it's brilliant how it can compensate, but it's also quite dis- like it's mischievous in terms of like, it's a bit dishonest at times because it, it covers stuff like rather than just going, Hey, I've got a problem. Can you listen to me? Like, you know, for example, my menstrual cycle, like, Oh, Ash, we're every 38 days, we're appearing really good, but we're really not like, you know, yeah. You know, people that have severe claudication, you know, they can still walk 100 plus metres, but it's because they've got a really good collateral, um, sorry, artery that's plugged in and is supplying the lower leg with with blood supply. There's still a problem there, but it's just being disloyal <laughs> and just saying, don't worry, I've got you. I've just made a different, a different little system here. So <laughs> it's quite funny, the body. And that's what I love about it. And that's why I love what I do. And I'm very passionate about ultrasound because and never ceases to amaze me what it can and what it does do to keep you functioning every day. And it amazes me how we have forgotten to appreciate it. And I suppose, you know, kind of keep on top of it and kind of go, am I listening to you? Because when it comes down to it, we don't listen to it. So beautifully said. 
And I, I love it. Are you listening to your body? What mm. is it saying? Yeah. Sorry. Ash, thank you. Thank you for your time, for sharing your story. Thank you for your knowledge, your passion, uh, for helping women learn, you know, about this stuff so they can advocate for themselves. Oh, it was, I was so excited, Amy. So it was a pleasure. And I mean, I could talk to you all day yeah. um, about it all and everything, but um, no, it was a great opportunity. And um, I hope that anyone that was listening that um, they can see hope and that they can just really channel that annoying patient out of themselves and get the help that they deserve because the professionals are out there and um, and I will share with you the links to those websites. So if they are kind of needing some further help that they can reach out to those organisations because they are doing a wonderful job and, yeah, get on and sign that peti- uh, petition and maybe maybe one's being done in the USA I don't know but you know I think a global movement needs to happen but so thank you for the opportunity Amy loved it loved it I loved it I love speaking to you thank you so much that was good that was really good you can listen to these episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts please give the podcast some love by subscribing now and if you enjoyed this episode please rate it and share it with another warrior woman Bye for now. Hey, Warrior Woman, I've created something very cool. Warrior School. Do you feel like you can't get the results that you want in your training? You don't know how to eat to support your training and cycle. And do those irregular or painful cycles actually stop you from training? I've worked with hundreds of women and have had thousands of conversations and most have struggled with at least one of these things, some all three, for years, sometimes even decades. Warrior School was birthed from what I have learned and experienced myself over the last 13 years about training, food, and the menstrual cycle. It's an individual coaching program and online community for women who want to get strong and learn how to train with their cycles. So if you're feeling lost and disconnected from your body, if you're feeling tired and confused, and you feel like you don't have a good understanding in how to train for you, I'm here to tell you that there's something you can do about it. Warrior School teaches you how to train smart to get results. You will learn to understand what works for you, and it will feel really bloody good to train. I will also teach you how to eat to support your metabolism, training, and cycle. Join this community of women who lift weights, track their cycles, and train with them.